The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. I'm Sam Keir, host of Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. For the past 12 months, I've been talking to T20 star David Visa, getting his take from behind the scenes at the IPL, the 100, and the rest of the world's biggest leagues. That's the Donnelly View system, Diogo. There's no <laughs> ways in my mind that was up. These guys don't know how to win at this stage. He had his driver pick him up in his Bentley. People start chanting your name. You kind of have to pinch yourself. Hitman for Hire, a year in the life of a franchise cricketer. Listen now, wherever you get your podcasts. Sport. Social. Good, you talk about people that you don't know. You jack, 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 jack all the time. Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Liverbirds pod. This will be our last one before Christmas uh, 2020. So whilst in a lot of ways we will be very happy to see the back of this year, hopefully we can bring you a little bit of cheer as we do our last pod. Um, of this strangest of strange seasons. So with that, let me welcome my regular contributors, Amy, Kate, Molly and Randy, again, all from around the globe. Welcome, ladies, to this latest edition. And let us get started right away with our last game, uh, which finished Crystal Palace nil, Liverpool 7. And I, I can't say that without a massive grin on my face. So, um, <laughs> Molly, let, let me start with you. You were, you were delighted with the 12.30 kickoff and meant you could see it at a normal time. Um, what, what would you like to say about the game? Just one thing? Um, no, many, many things. <laughs> many, many things to be said. Um, I thought it was a really good performance, obviously, because we won 7-0. But I think as well, it kind of felt, especially in the first half, um, that Palace were at least going to get a goal or two. That's how I felt anyway. I thought they were um, really, really pressing. I thought, you know, they had a few really good chances, a few near misses uh, for us, but I thought we defended exceptionally well. Um, I was just... Delighted with the scorers. There was there's so much talk about. I think we had obviously seven goals. We had seven different assisters, I believe, to the goals. Um, we did. It was wonderful to see Firmino scoring again. Um, I liked the fact that obviously there's a lot of rumor and chat as there often is when you know, with Salah being on the bench, for him to then just come on and be like, bump, bump, 
yeah, I'm still I'm only on for what thirty <laughs> minutes. Yeah, don't don't be talking about me. I'm still scoring two goals. Um to see Ox back was amazing. Um and he got an assist as well. Um which is even better. Um uh Fabino just being brilliant at the back again. Um I've said a lot there. <laughs> and I didn't know which was my favourite bit. I just really enjoyed all of it. It was a it was a, a fantastic way to um to to finish finish the campaign before we hit Christmas. Clearly there's more games in December. But um Randy, can you can you pick a favourite goal out of the seven? And if so, which one? Oh, that's so hard. Because it's like they had their own competition, didn't they, that match? <laughs> uh, so out of these seven goals, I mean, Salah's last one was absolutely magnificent. But then you you can't um, look away from Taki's goal as well. I mean, he, he got his first goal in the Premier League and the way he dribbled and made sure that was absolutely right in the pocket of the corner. Uh, he was... Uh, tooling away the whole match he looks so much better further up the pitch i was so happy for him as well and bobby's second i mean he started the first goal he, he made he started it off himself and then he just sprints up and puts it in the corner <laughs> nonchalant as ever but his second goal is so hard i don't understand how he got that from that angle and the little chip you know it looks so easy when he finally made it you know when he makes it but I yeah. can't I can't choose from all of these. It's like choosing between your babies. Impossible. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, that was such a lovely match. And we had eight shots on you know, on goal and seven goals. We did. I mean in, in some respects it is a little bit like the so I I hesitate to bring it in at this point in terms of that bizarre villa game. But yeah. it was kind of like everything they hit went in or we got a deflection or whatever. But, but this was, there was a, we were clinical and there was a ruthlessness um, to, to our finishing at this, at this um, point against Palace. Um, Amy Kate, you, you probably picked up over the, over the months that, that you've been doing this with us, that I'm not a massive fan of Roy Hodgson. Um <laughs> But so 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 Is for me that yeah but well for me there was just an added pleasure um that not only did we batter them seven nil but we we battered Roy Hodgson's side as well um if you can't if you can't pick a a, a favorite goal perhaps I don't know maybe you can um could you pick a man of the match out of that overall performance for Liverpool so I don't know if I can pick one goal because they were all fabulous. But for me, um, I'm going to also go with uh, Salah's second one because that was just such a powerhouse. But And nobody's named the other one, so I'm going to go with it. Hendo. It was great to see Hendo score. And it was much farther out. And it was I, I just it was great to see him back playing mm-hmm. and and um, scoring the goal. So I, I was really happy to see that. But everybody, it was it was so amazing. It was, you know. It was 4.30 in the morning for me. So I was like, okay, let's get up for this, make this worthwhile. And 
even at <laughs> halftime when we were up 3-0, I was like, this is amazing. And I I just, I couldn't believe how, with with all the injuries and all the things that we've had, um, I want to point out there was not a single VAR call, which was shocking, but wonderful. Um yeah, actually, I hadn't even um, hadn't even picked up on that. The um, yeah. I, I, but I, in fact, actually, I I think it didn't register with me. I saw something on social media where somebody said, "Right, Liverpool have obviously decided we're not even going to let VAR come into the conclusion, <laughs> come into the conversation. <laughs> we we are just going to score goals in such a way that there's no way that VAR will be required." I think, well, that that works. Let carry on. Let's carry on doing that then. Yeah. Um, and as far as man of the match, I want to give it. I want to give it to Bobby because he scored two goals. He scored the goal the game before. He's really back. You know, he's got so much stick from everything that was. You know, because he's he hadn't scored goals, and you know, Jada loved the guy so excited. He's part of the team. Um, but you know, he's been kind of the, the front runner as of late, and everybody's been slagging Bobby off, so it was kind of a big, you know, F you to everybody that's been slagging him off, so Bobby for me. So I, I, and I, and I, you know, I'm, I'm with you to an extent, Randy, is, is like trying to pick between your children um, <laughs> or your cats or whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but, your children's stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I, um, I have to say that I, uh, the thir- our third goal, so Bobby's first, um, mm. for for the way that um, you know he kind of started and finished that move, and also the first touch from Robertson's pass, just to to kill it yeah. and roll it into his path and then side foot it with the outside of his boot was just uh, it was just so Bobby and so <laughs> yeah. beautiful. And and it made he made it look so simple that I, uh, that's you know that's my first amongst equals in term in terms of the seven goals. Um, I also uh, you know Molly, you made the point we had seven different people players assisting for those goals. Um, it's also our biggest ever away win. Um, we we just appear to be, you know, breaking records here, there, and everywhere. And Salah's second goal was apparently our six hundredth under Jurgen Klopp. Um, oh, wow! So, oh, wow! I didn't yeah. know that. That's great. Yeah. So 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 that's the six hundredth goal we've scored since Jurgen Klopp turned up at the at the club. Um, and also, we, we, you know, we we haven't mentioned the fact that it means we are on top of the table for Christmas for the third Yay. year running. Yes, <laughs> yippee! <laughs> and with wow. a good goal difference as well. I mean, the goal difference. Yes. Is, uh... Well, and 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 last but not least, thank you, Randy. Um, <laughs> that's done our goal difference a world of good. Um, <laughs> We are we are now the highest scorers in the uh, in the league, um, which is fantastic. So, um, Molly, on the um, the 
you know, you talked about the fact that Crystal Palace were were kind of in the game in the first half, and I and I really agree with you. In fact, I was certainly worried at certain points because they're very direct and they've got a lot of they've got a lot of pace on the counter attack, and they did appear to be getting behind us um, a fair a fair few times. I remember, you know, there was a there was a cross put put across the box that Fabino just managed to toe poke in front of Ayu. Um, there was a header, I think, from, uh, was it Eze? Um, you know, IU again just misplaced his pullback behind Zaha. You know, they had, they had a number of opportunities. And, and I, m- my thought was that, that Trent particularly looked a little bit sloppy, um, in the, in the first half. Um, and I was just interested because, you know, the first thing that Henderson came out in his post-game interviews, and I don't know exactly what coverage you get, whether you get all of the, the post-game stuff, depending on, on who you're watching. But he talked about the fact that he thought we were sloppy, um, you know, that we could we could do better in in the first half. And and I'm just thinking, you know, we we've you know, we've we've run out of central defenders because we've got a defensive midfielder in there. You know, we've been playing the youth team. Um, we've, you know, we've got Verge out. We've got Gomez. Allison has been out. Shakiri's been out. Oxley Chamberlain's just coming in. Tiago's out. Jota's out. Do you think that this is worrying? Do you think this should be worrying for other teams that we've, with all of that, we've managed to get where we are at this point in the season? Yeah, I think it should be worrying for other teams, definitely, because really we should be conceding a lot of goals all the time really if you look at it on paper and if you'd have said to me at the start of the season you know at Christmas I'm not going to relist all of the players you've just named but (laughs) you're going to be without all of these guys for for some of your games you're going to have midfielders playing in um, you know in defensive positions you know, we were without uh, Trent. You know, we, we've missed, I think, all of the back four and keepers at various points um, this season. You know, not all at the same time, but at various points, and we should be. And I think, therefore, you kind of anticipate a little bit of sloppiness because it's not the standard back four. And it's not only the standard back four, but it's the back four that we've got, I think, have all been out injured at some point. As you say, including Alisson, even though for a few of them it's just a, a couple of games, that it it should be a little bit sloppy. Um, but in saying that, like you say, you know, we're still not conceding goals. And so I think that um, for the level that we're we're playing at and the fact that we're not conceding, especially with, you know, like you say, Crystal Palace, they are really direct. There was a number of um, hairy moments, shall we say, you know, um, where there was a few real near misses, but actually, you know, to keep a clean sheet. Because um, I think, you know, if you were to say at the start of the game, oh, you, you know, you're going to win. And you're going to score seven. You probably anticipate that we were going to concede a lot, and that it would be because it was end to end, in particular in the first half. 
Um, but I just think that, you know, despite everything, that we're not, you know, we're not yeah. clinical at the back at the moment, but there's enough there and there's still enough of a drive. Um, and there's, an, you know, there's enough in midfield, like, you know, uh, it was the second goal, Firmino's first goal. Um, oh, that was the third one. Of, that was the third. See, we scored so many. Yeah, um, there's so many. He, we lose. He, <laughs> yeah, he, he's picked. You know, he's picked it up well into our half. He's picked it well into our half and taken it all away. You know, and it's it's that kind of movement and that kind of forethought, um, that is going to be helping the defense as well. Don't you don't you think, Randy? Though that. Um, we have found a way to 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 win or to we we found a way to get through and i know people have been saying that oh you know Klopp keeps moaning about injuries and moaning about subs and moaning about this that and the other um but actually when you uh, and I, I you know i'm not going to go f- so far as to say it's been seamless because it hasn't been seamless but whatever they're doing within the group and at kirby and and you know in t- in terms of the training when they step out you know onto the pitch they there seems to be a cohesiveness of the group you know regard regardless who's kind of you know, stepping up and and having to play, and sometimes out of position as well, and and that's the thing that I think is is remarkable. Um, you know, we we have suffered from a lot of injuries, and I'm not saying other clubs haven't had their own injury problems, but the caliber of players that we have lost out of our squad over this period of time, and yet still managed to to be where they are. I just want wonder what you know. What is it within that that squad that's just helping us to continue to perform in this way? That's a good question. That is very hard to answer, I think. But it has to come down to the culture within the club and the coaching team. Because we're gonna probably going to talk about that later. But when Klopp won the coach of the year again... Uh, of course, he, he looks a bit embarrassed and he says, well, it's not me, is it? I mean, if I knew I was going to win this, we would have the whole team here because this is a team effort. And you can see that when, when so many first-time players are out, suddenly something just comes up from the undergrowth in the club and they just appear to be just like the ones that left. I mean, look at Riz Williams, 18 years old, and he... he he plays like a, a baby Van Dyke. I mean, he, he looks like him. He does what he does. He talks all the time. He jumps highest on the pitch. Kane looked like a little, you know, tiny child next to him when they were going for headers. So we got this thing within the club that we haven't been able to see yet because we haven't been, we, we didn't have to use it. But apparently this club, this club is like, a whole undergrowth of many first-time players that is doing exactly the same as the first-timers. And they've been in trainings, they've been talked talk to by the coaches, 
that must be made of something special because I'm amazed how we've come through all these matches with all these young kids that just look so comfortable on the pitch. I mean, Curtis and Riz, the, the last game. I think game. we're all amazed. Yeah, it's so and, difficult uh, to say what what is it, but it's just something that we have. I think there's, um, you know, we we we've talked about this whole mentality monsters thing that that yeah. Klopp came out with, you know, whenever it was a year, eighteen eighteen months ago, um, and that's that's definitely uh, some of it. Um, I also think it's it's some there's something around the standards that are set by the the longer serving professionals um in terms of the the younger kids coming through so you know your your hendersons your milners um you know your your van dykes Genie. um Ginny, absolutely um and players like that that are, are setting the standards that that they aspire to um the other thing was that um, I noticed um, Amy Kate when I was doing some, um, you know, I was just doing a little bit of reading before before this we were recording this pod is um, just a, a small couple of things and and you and I know you like to sort of pick up on some of these things as well. So so one was that um, there was a little uh, video that was put out a couple of weeks ago about Mane. Um, meeting well talking to one of our sort of super fans a guy called lee who works in uh i think he's got some learning disabilities or may have downs but sort of works in food banks and there was this lovely little video sort of set up by nivia and uh he sort of said to sadio mane oh yeah because he said oh you know i like to copy celebrations do you have a celebration that you want me to copy if i score and he said, oh, yes, will you like do a finger in the air for, like for my granddad? And this oh. is this, that and the other. <laughs> yeah. And you saw Sadio Mane do it yesterday after yeah. he scored. There was a point where he had he looked up, he did a little kiss on the finger. Um, and the other thing was on the um, on Salah's second goal, which we all recognise is utterly magnificent. Um, the look on Curtis Jones's face as he was waiting on the side to come on as a sub. Um, the camera just sort of cut to him and Klopp just after Salah had put that goal in. It was just priceless. You know, he was giving that kind of, ooh, look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> That's so tasty. And I just, I just think there's something, um, there, there's an appreciation I don't know if you think this, but there's appreciation for the players by the players in our squad. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I really think that they're, 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 I mean, the Liverpool way and the LFC family and all that stuff that we're always going on about is so true. It's, it's, it's so true about how connected they are and, and, how supportive they are. And I think that's part of what's happening here. We've lost so many amazing players, you know, to injury or, or, um, you know, long-term injury, COVID, small injuries, just, you know, anything really um, off to, you know, their um, countries at times. Um, yet you see the support in the support system and how everybody's supporting each other. And I think that's one of the reasons that we're being so successful because 
everybody's trying to help the other one. It's not me, 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 me. It's we're a team and we're cohesive and they play as a system. And I think that's one of the key things that we have here is, is the system um, that, that works and, and Klopp and his team are picking players that they know will fit into the system. Um, and it makes those players that may not have everything that's really good, you know, that'd be great with their left foot, but not with their right. Or they're, they're not, the best defender clinically, but you know, they know how to get the best out of each other and support each other. And I think that's a huge, huge thing. And to go um, back real quick to Mane's celebration, that made me so emotional to see that because it, it's just, it shows how much the, the fans mean to the team and vice versa. You know, we are so dedicated to the fans. I mean, I was up at 4.30 in the morning. You know, people are traveling all over the world, you know, trying to watch them. And, um, of course, when we had fans able to be in the stadium, I mean, people are coming from everywhere. We are a huge part of this, and it's recognized. And money, or, um, money did that. And, and it was so special because you knew what that was for. And, and he that must have meant the world to him, you know. So I just love that, the, the just everything that the, that the club stands for and the, and the, and the players. And I just love our team. I think that's all right. I think you're, I think you're allowed to, um, you know, and there were just so many lovely things as, as you said, Molly, you know, seeing Oxlade Chamberlain back on the pitch, um, Tacky scoring his first goal. I mean, almost a year to the day to, to the point we announced he was, he was joining the club. Um, Cater, we haven't even talked about him playing the full 90 minutes and and yeah. looking good um you know the fact you know the fact that we, we we brought you know Salah was only on the pitch 33 minutes got two goals and an assist um <laughs> you know the, that that guy is is becoming legendary for our club and I, I I do wonder if people actually realize how good he is and what we're actually seeing being created in front of in front of our faces um and i sort of tweeted about it yesterday well i don't know when anyway whenever it was um just because i i'm i'm genuinely becoming astonished at at what he is doing and the rate he is doing it at and it's and it is history being created in real time in front of us and i'm just not sure we're actually grasping what we're seeing no you're right can i just comment on that of course. Because apparently Salah is the first involved in three goals coming from the bench uh, ever. And he's also Wouldn't now... Wouldn't surprise. No, exactly. <laughs> so he's, he's breaking records all the time now. And the, the funny thing is that he's actually said so. You know, he, he said so the other day that I, I just want to break all the LFC records ever made. And he's actually doing it at the moment. So right now as well, he's the best forward Premier League Premier League ever seen because oh he's nil 97 uh, goal and assist per game and Thierry Henry is nil 96 points. So he's the best ever. <laughs> that is there amazing, isn't it? There yeah. you go. And he's going to continue breaking rules. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the, you know, le- and, and you know, we could wax lyrical about Crystal Palace all afternoon. But 
you know, let let's not forget it. You know, that was a that was a really good week for us, which which started off with the the win against Spurs at Anfield um, during the week, um, and you know, with a fantastic Bobby Firmino winner, but actually, you know, that again. That was started off. Yes, there was a deflection and all the rest of it, but it was started off with another, you know, Salah goal. And uh, I, I would love to, um, uh, you know, feel free. Anybody wants to wants to chip in. D- did the best team lose on Wednesday? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, not at all. The most defensive team. Yeah, they lost. <laughs> it's just, just Mourinho being Mourinho. It's just classic. It's just classic. It's just classic. It is. You know, he he's the special one for a reason. <laughs> he's the big this baby, is, isn't it? Yeah. That, that whole that whole deflection thing, though, Amy K. I mean, this is what he generally does when his team loses, and he doesn't want to necessarily talk about that. He'll create you know, his own diversion. So in a weird way, maybe we take it as a compliment. Yeah. I would say so. I think, you know, he, he, I think he, he rates himself way more than most people. Um, I mean, don't get me wrong. He is a brilliant uh, manager. I, I'm not going to take that away from him, but the way he carries on like a big baby, you know, throwing all his toys out of the pram is just, comical at this point you know um it's 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 almost like if he didn't do it you wouldn't know what to do with him he has he has to be the center of attention he has to be drama so you know he carries on we'll carry on we were the better team we know that so (laughs) molly what was your what was your uh other than obviously the 90th minute winner what what was your your favorite bit of the spurs game it was weird to me because I didn't get up to watch it, but when I got up, I watched it on playback. So you didn't get up to watch it? it. No, like I didn't get up at oh God, I think it was like three a.m. or something. It was on, but when I w- woke up, um, normal people time, mm-hmm. I then watched the whole match. Um, so it was a weird one because I did know the score because obviously I woke up to like loads of messages and stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's hard to come up with a favorite bit that wasn't the second goal. <laughs> um, to be honest, because you know, was it nothing just, was really it just compares to that. Top? Was that, <laughs> yeah. that what it was? <laughs> yeah, yeah, and the celebration as well. Um, I just think the celebration as well really was just. It was almost like it'd been carrying attention or like carrying something with him and it just he kind of he really let rip you could see it so yeah the celebration was incredible as well because I don't think that was just about winning the game though obviously it had a lot to do with it but I think it was there was something else there that was like really personal as well as being being like a team thing so that was amazing um, I quite liked. I saw my brother on the telly. That was good. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's for me. Yeah, he Lucky managed man. to get a ticket. Um, and my dad's fuming because he's the only one who sees and ticket hasn't qualified yet. Um, <laughs> uh, well, he might. He might get. 
well, he might get to see yeah. us play against them. Um, is it oh, Fat Sam we're playing against next? Yeah. yeah, I think so. Oh, dear. I was like, just hang on, you know. <laughs> only, he's got to get in there somewhere. There's 2,000 <laughs> people a game. And exactly. Season ticket holders, and he's in the, my cousin who lives he's in, in the Cheshire. Literally. So, yeah, he's got an L postcode. My cousin who lives in Cheshire, like literally, like 40 minutes down the road, cannot oh. get into the ballot. So I'm like, just hang on, Dad. You'll get there. Um, so no, that was great. And it's just, I mean, I mean, is it an act of Marino? Like, he can't believe that. Surely, he can't believe what he says about you know them being the the best team on the day because they weren't. And I mean, I know statistics will tell you everything. Kind of know they play a defensive style, so they never. You know, in terms of like possession and stuff, that's not what they're after. Um, but they had like, I think, oh, I saw it was like two or three shots on target, and we had uh, 10, 11 or something. So it was like you can't, you can't look at those and be like, you have to be incredibly clinical on the break if that's how you're going to play. And on the day they weren't, so. You can't then, you know, you have to take some responsibility um, for, for what you did. But I did love it. It was clopping. Uh, it, was, it was a pep as well. You could see the moment Marino said it. You couldn't hear it, but you knew the moment he said it. <laughs> but kind of like a laugh. You looked at the collapse. Yeah, it's a slightly confused like nah. <laughs> You're pulling me like <laughs> Did you see the smiles from Linda's and Club though? They were like bright smiles. That's going, what I you mean. must like, be you, kidding mate. You know you you knew when he said it. Yeah. You knew the moment even though you couldn't hear it. <laughs> you knew what it was because you could tell from their expressions. <laughs> You could. I do get the impression that um, Pep Linders is a little bit of a wind-up merchant on the touchline. Yes, <laughs> I do too. <laughs> um, he seems to have featured in a few managers, uh, away managers irate <laughs> reactions to us. Um, oh, Frank Lampard being one, but, you know, fat-ass Frank can piss off anyway. <laughs> but, um, but but he... he definitely wasn't wasn't happy with Pep and a, couple, and a couple of the others and I can't remember there's another manager who, who reckoned they were being disrespectful or something so I do reckon Pep Linders is a little bit of a wind-up merchant when, when he's on the touchline sure is <laughs> um now uh, just you know it's breaking news at the moment by the time people who are listening to this hear it it won't be breaking news but Spurs are 2-0 down as we're talking um, yeah. And we think we think we're we, we think we're happy about that. We probably do want a draw, but actually, yeah. if Mourinho loses again, uh, none of us are going to cry. So, <laughs> um, so who knows? Who knows what the the end of that game will be? Um, so we had we've had a very good week. Uh, um, we beat beat Spurs, beat Crystal Palace, top of the league. Um, for Christmas, and on the, in the same week, it was announced that um, Jurgen Klopp 
won FIFA Coach of the Year for the second year running, which is another record we've broken because no coach has <laughs> ever done that before. Yes. Um, so, so Randy, so what, what are we, what, what else can we say about Jurgen Klopp? Um, and I mean, he seemed he seemed very surprised to have won it. You did sort of, you know, bring it up, but um, you know, uh, is there anything left to say about <laughs> our Jurgen? Except that we love him very much, uh, and uh, there are reasons why. Because he could be the best uh, president, he could be the best leader of any company. He is ours, thank God, uh, and he's <laughs> one of the best ones ever around. And I really like the way he sat there. You know, they were all sat down, him and Trent and uh, Tiago, I think, because they were all, they were all in this. Uh, competition and uh, so they sat <coughs> sort of next to each other in the room so when he said if I knew I was going to win this I would have had all my coaches next to me as well because this is a team thingy and he was almost embarrassed because of course that flick guy from um, uh, Bayern München should have won it because they won everything last yeah. year and we just flick. won I, I, I yeah, assumed exactly. he was going to win it yeah I think Klopp thought so as well didn't he so maybe that's why he was a bit embarrassed. But but then again, maybe it is more difficult to first almost win the Premier League and then win the Champions League and then actually winning the Premier League in the way we did this uh, year. So maybe they were right. I mean, we certainly think so because he is just the best around and I'm so, so happy he made another contract so he doesn't leave like next year or something. I think he enjoys us and we certainly enjoy him. So hopefully he's going to stay the rest of his life with us. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> that could be another record that he can break. Yeah. The longest standing <laughs> manager at Liverpool. He's going to be 92. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> but you know what? We'll still be winning at 92. <laughs> <laughs> this is the thing you see um because you know as much as we joke we know that he will go at some point you know he ultimately he will want to go home he will want to go back to no, look i'm not i'm not wishing this away i'm <laughs> I know, please don't all all i'm saying is let's make sure we really appreciate what he has done and what he continues to do whilst he is here yeah we will always revere him after he's gone but let's not miss let's let's be in you know sa sorry amy kate when i say this it sounds so american psycho bubble but let's be, let's be in the moment with <laughs> um whilst whilst he is our manager because these these are unprecedented times and i i i want to make sure we really appreciate what we're seeing in front of us i suppose particularly you know after the year we've had and one thing and another is you know not taking anything for granted anymore yeah. um so sorry to be a little bit of a downer on the fact that he is going to go one day, but I hope that is a very, 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 very long time away. Um, I agree. Here's a real quick thought. If yeah. things keep going the way they're going and we win league back to back, maybe we'll be able to have the celebration parade for yeah, both exactly. years. 
just a thought to think about since we couldn't celebrate this year. Well, maybe to, we'll be able to, to be honest, it. yeah. To, to be honest, if we do if we do win the league, and that will be well, it'll be May, won't it? So so the mm-hmm. season the season finishes at whatever point in May. Um, Mid May, technically, is assuming that things are on track. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean the in in the UK at the moment they're talking about having like the most at risk people vaccinated by April or Easter or well let's say the end of April just to be on the safe side. I don't know what that means for an actual parade, but um there will be vaccines will be being rolled out across different countries by that point. So you know what? Why not? Let's let's say we can because you know everybody needs something to look forward to. Frankly, yeah, we need um, to hope. We do, we do. You know, we we're all we're all living in different countries that have had different approaches that have worked or not worked to a great or a lesser extent. Um, you know, the only thing I can say for for the UK at the moment is it's an absolute omni shambles. Um, so sad. And they've just they've just created another tier that mm. didn't exist in their previous tier and system. Anyway, we're getting slightly off the subject, but um, <laughs> let, so I come back to appreciate what we've got in front of us whilst whilst we've got it. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Anyway, um, I did. I wanted us to to acknowledge the fact that that Jurgen has has won that awards. And um, just whilst we're on the the subject of awards, and I don't think any of you can vote because I'm not sure you can vote from outside the UK. But I did mention uh, in our last pod that it's sort of sports personality of the year. So so today tonight is the is the award ceremony itself. Um, oh, if yeah. you obviously all go on to the LFC. Uh, app and you go onto the LFC site so there is uh, a, a notification there and sort of links to go and see how you can vote I don't know whether you uh, I'm assuming you can't from outside of the UK you have to have a BBC account but feel free go and see if you can vote for Jürgen uh, Jürgen Henderson <laughs> Jordan Henderson as our, as our nominee um so we shall we shall see uh the the winner will be announced probably about 10 o'clock gmt tonight um so who who knows we we might have another winner another trophy yeah. <laughs> by the time yeah. by the time we wake up on monday morning um so uh, we've t- we've talked about kind of you know jürgen winning the awards and and all of those sorts of things so um Amy, let let me start with you on this one. So, so he's gone on record, uh, you know, on a number of subjects over the last few months, in terms of player welfare, in terms of five subs, you know, in terms of kickoff times and various other things. So, right. it, clearly, the the five sub thing isn't coming in anytime soon in the Premier League. But one of the new rules that they are going to trial from January is having two um, concussion substitutes. Yes. Um, as well as the, the the fact that they voted to have nine people on the bench as opposed to seven. Um, so, uh, is this is this 
the right thing to do? Is there is there something else that you know the IFAB or, or whoever else should be looking at in terms of concussion protocols? What what's your view about what we're going to be trialing from next year? Well, so I've actually had conversations about this and thought about this. Um, I don't think it's exactly the right way, but it's not the wrong way either. If that doesn't make sense, I know. But I guess my point is, okay. Having two concussion subs better than not having concussion subs. But what if this could happen that multiple people, you know, crash heads or, you know, what if we have three or four concussions of different players or what if, if players from the same team both go for the ball and, and, and go out um, and, and they both are concussed. I think it should be unlimited um, subs. I don't think they should really put a number on that. That's the only thing. But they also have to be real, you know, real subs. And maybe that's the whole thing is that they don't want to say unlimited because then all these people are going to be like, oh, he's not playing well. We're going to call him out as, as a concussion, you know. Um, maybe that's what they're trying to protect. Maybe they're thinking that, that the chances of that happening are pretty slim to none, which is true. It could happen, mm-hmm. but the chances aren't. So I don't think we should really limit concussion subs because that's a really dangerous game we're playing. Um, I'm, yeah. I'm really, um, think it's important to, to protect people's brains and, and protect them from that. Um, uh, but, but being able to have concussion subs and not be part of the three that we already have, I think is a, mm-hmm. a really good way to go forward. Um, I'm pleased about that. I just don't think it should be limited to two, but you know what, if it happens and, I think they'll reevaluate that when it comes. So I'm not too worried about it because mm-hmm. if it does come down to it and, and say three from the same team end up getting a concussion or more, um, then I think they'll quickly reevaluate their thoughts on that. And they, they've shown that because it happened and they're, they're already making new rules. So um, I don't think it's something to worry about too much. Um, as far as the nine subs opposed to seven, I mean, I don't know. I kind of find it funny because you can't put, any more subs out there. I don't understand why you need that many on the bench, but okay, whatever, you know, it, it's just, it's not the football that we're used to, but football is evolving and changing every, every season, every year, new things are happening. Um, you know, just the regiment of, of, you know, um, self care and, and, and protecting your players and making sure that, that they're exercising properly and, and, you know, exercise science, you know, the last, say, 30 years, mm. it didn't exist before that. So um, everything's evolving. The ball that we use, you know, I couldn't even imagine, um, you know, they're making a big thing about kids in America right now. Um, under 12 can't head the ball because they're worried about, you know, brain damages are developing and whatever. But the ball isn't the same ball that, you know, they were playing in the 60s. That yeah. get, it was leather and get waterlogged and things like that. But you know, it is important to think about these, these kids and, and their development and, um, you know, but we're also kind of treating them like they're, they need to be wrapped in cotton wool. So I'm kind of torn between both sides, but yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think uh, there's, um, I, I think, I mean, it's, it's interesting because I think there's a, there's a, there's a couple of things and, and, you know, Molly, let me, let me sort of pick up some of the themes from, from Amy Kate and, and ask your view, because um, if I, if I think about the, you know, 12s and under, um, certainly a number of the academies um, in the UK did. I know that Bournemouth was one of the very early ones when Eddie Howe was there, sort of saying they weren't having their their sort of 
under 12 teams or whatever you know heading the ball i'm also very conscious no we the ball has changed significantly so we don't have the old leather balls you know we have very different balls but you would argue that probably the velocity and the speed at which the ball is struck now is probably harder uh in some respects than it was because the the ball is that much lighter so uh, you know i think it's you know the the danger um maybe comes from a from a different direction uh no no pun intended and um i suppose i was i was wondering molly um on the sort of building on that one of the things that i noticed when they talked about this was that they are potentially going to give the team the op- the opposing team the ability to also change out a player um and this can uh, if you use a concussion sub and and again you know this is nothing to do with the other three subs um in order to uh in effect i guess level the field of play so there's not a, not an unfair advantage because i guess there maybe there is a view that some people some clubs might try and and you know <sighs> you know, pull the wool over somebody's eyes by saying, oh, yes, you know, I think that person's concussed. So so they start, you know, they start using that. But so that so that was one point the sort of what did what did you think around that bit? But also, I guess the follow up piece is if you have nine players on the bench, is that um, is that potentially building in a level of, I guess, uh, sort of mitigation in terms of additional additional positions you can cover if you do have um, a concussion sub for example um i mean i think it's good that the you know they're obviously taking this very seriously what i mean i watched i think it was a ted talk actually um and it was to do with that they'd kind of done experiments with uh, an American football t- college team and put kind of sensors in their helmets and kind of done brain like um like a like brain quizzes and tests and things and MRI scans and and what they found, which they were very very surprised at, um, with that players who had taken a lot of little knocks which were just about read by the sensors mm. were in the were in a worse position in terms of when they'd done these um kind of they'd like done like a, a quiz that a quiz is a terrible way but like a cognitive test at the start of a season and then you know a year later or at the end of the season and they found that the players who had a lot of little knocks Mm. were worse off than the players who'd had for example one big knock Mm, does that make sense yes the the cumulative (laughs) the cumulative impact the little knocks Um, so just kind of going back to what you're saying about kids not having the ball, I think that there obviously there is something to that, and they're learning more and more all the time about the effects of concussion, um, and and obviously the significant damage it could do. So the fact that the Premier League are taking it seriously, because I think, you know, they was it the start of last season when they brought in, you know, if you have a head injury, 
you have to come off the pitch. And obviously that was kind of the start. And obviously this is kind of developing on that because I don't really think that that does happen all of the time. Um, You know, you automatically, if it's head injury, you should be coming off. Um, Obviously that's not happening, but with the introduction of kind of, I suppose, special substitutions, which would obviously alleviate that. Um, and, and kind of, I suppose, ensure that players are coming off if there is a sus- suspected concussion. Um, it's great that the league are taking it seriously enough to do that. Um, however, I don't know, it just feels like if a player is injured, then they should come off, could, should come off. So, and like Amy said, it's a little, Amy Kate said, it's a little bit odd that they've kind of limited that to two. Though I suppose you, you know, normally it's not, you know, concussions are not something that happen an awful lot. So I don't know, I kind of, I'm kind of with Amy Kate on this. If you have it, then it should just be a case of you have an extra concussion. So if you need it obviously there's doctors on the pitch and the ref should make the call um i don't really think they're gonna you know the managers are going to be saying you're having a terrible game can you pretend to bang your head i don't think that's going to be something that we see so i'm kind of with amy kate you know if someone's potentially got a head injury you swap them out i think if you start I think if you then start saying to the team, oh, you can have four subs now. I mean, are we not just overcomplicating the matter? Should it not just be if there's a serious head injury, that team's allowed an extra sub? Does that not yeah, kind of, I, I don't know. I mean, there's it, enough it officials there. There's enough doctors there. Can they just? Can we not just make this decision as and well, when it's needed? You, you would think to you would think so, but, but we we can all remember instances of games we've watched when people have had bad knocks and when they've gone off and they've got stitches and their heads been bandaged and they've come back on the pitch, right? Yeah. I'm I'm not against the idea of it. I think it's a good idea because I think it. And I think it should be enforced in terms of if you have a head injury, you're not allowed on the pitch. And you enforce that by saying, okay, because you have a head injury, because you've had to have stitches, you can have that extra sub. But as I say, if these all these rules, will you get two? If you get one, the other team can have. It should be, if someone has had to have stitches in their head, I just think that should be enough to constitute the sub the extra one and i just i think if all teams have that option then as you say as and when it's needed because it's not something that is needed often um and then i just i i just think people should use the brains that they have I don't know, maybe this is too much to ask and say, as I say, I'm not against the idea of having the sub. That's not what the exercise was not. I'm saying, I'm saying there just seems to be a lot of layers and and more rules that people don't fucking understand uh, anyway. And, And why not just have it? If there's a concussion, you get the sub. 
and that's the rule. So I I, you know, I, I'm I'm all for I'm all for simplicity, Molly. You know that. Um, <laughs> but but I, I just I I think for me, there's also a bit, and and Randy, I sort of welcome your views on this. There's there's a bit around protecting the players from themselves. So um, I know that it's it's an extreme example if you talk about the NFL, um, but they have what they call the blue tent. Um, so in effect, they take a, and I know they have a different sort of substitution thing and all the rest of it, but they they will take a player off the pitch and they will take them away and they will go in the blue tent and they will do an assessment. And and now this this covers all injuries, right? Not not just concussion or concussion protocol, but I do think you know doing doing that on the pitch, um, you know, you know whatever it is, you know how many how many fingers am I holding up or, you know, how many of me can you see or whatever questions they ask them as part of this concussion protocol. I think that that there is a bit for me, I think there's something that we could learn through that. And and this is maybe where this uh, rolling head injury sub, for want of a better expression, could come in, which is if there is a head injury and there is, like you say, there's a clash of heads, there's blood, there's whatever it is, they get taken away. And, but it's it's at that point, and you, they go through all of those those testings because I just I worry, you know, when they're sat on the pitch in front of everybody, and you're, the player will kind of be going, you know, I'm fine, I'm fine, or what whatever it is. I think maybe there's less pressure, or, or the player will put less pressure on himself if it's out if it's out of sight of everyone. I know we haven't got crowds in at the moment. So I don't know whether, Randy, you you feel that there's um, that you know the the players kind of go against their own instincts because because of this whole team ethic. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. We need to protect the players from themselves and from the pressure from the crowd, from the team, from everything. Uh, I mean, you don't have to look far back. Uh, before, I mean, we could see Kara and Skirtle running around with those big bandages, bleeding, you know, <laughs> yeah. uh, being the hard guys and they were never going to give up, you know. And that was sort of cheer that. It was a good thing. Uh, and, of course, it isn't. Uh, we need to take care of players' health, first of all. And I completely agree. I think it's very difficult to do that on the pitch. Uh, and you have to stop the play and everyone's getting restless. And But... So how to do it, I, I, I can't really figure out because football is so much quicker. It's like it's supposed to go one minute and then you're either off or on again. Uh, so how you can take people away to tents, I don't know, but at least we have to take care of them. We have to make sure that they're not injured for life just because somebody's going to win a football match. So I'm completely for it. And of course, there's a more um, people at the bench then because game has uh, changed a bit so you have to think about more things maybe uh, so I'm, I'm all for that as well but the funny thing is that when uh, Jurgen Klopp gets nine um, substitutes he uses two of them for two extra keepers that is so funny it's like do we really need that <laughs> well he thinks so he has his own little world of uh, the bench stories, that guy. And um, 
but it seemed to work, so I'm fine with that as well. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's an interesting thing. There's a there's a sort of little side issue going on around um, this kind of uh, commentary about Jurgen Klopp keeps asking for five subs, but he doesn't use all three subs in games. And you know, there's there's a you know they'll, they'll pick one game where he didn't use subs, but actually if you look at all of the games in terms of all of the subs, substitutes used, he's probably, you know, right up there with the with the sort of maximum use of substitutes. So again, it's just, you know, it's a narrative. You you take, you know, you fit the stats to for the narrative that you want, don't you? Um, I just, I think it is one of those things that we are going to have to accept that there, there will need to be some changes to how we manage players on and off the pitch in football because of the, the these concussion issues you know you can see what's happened in the NFL you can see what's going on with rugby at the moment you know they're suing their you know their governing body um you know you've got you've got a number of players in their 40s now talking about brain fog and the the fact that they do think they're seeing signs of some early onset dementia um, you've got all of the, you know, well, not all, but you've got a significant proportion of that 1966 World Cup winning side for England who have all been diagnosed with uh, some form of dementia um, or Alzheimer's and a number of them who, who have died uh, with or of that condition. Um, and the latest one, obviously, is Bobby Charlton's been diagnosed with it. So, you know, there are too many people that that is a abnormal cluster for that group of players for there not to be something uh, you know a commonality in terms of the impact of playing that game that that has you know manifested itself in them so so i i agree i think it's an important step i think it's long overdue i i agree i don't know why you would put a number on it why you wouldn't just have concussion substitutes um but i but i think this will be the start of an evolution in terms of how we treat treat players with head injuries both on and off the pitch and if there was one image that that we saw of that you talk about not very long ago that terrible clash with raul jimenez having a fractured skull and david louise coming back on the pitch with a bandage around his head and blood down his face I, no, I, don't, I do not understand why that man was allowed to yeah, play back on the pitch, and and what <laughs> his um, you know what what his medical team were were thinking about. Anyway, um, we are uh, sort of coming into the final leg of uh, of this pod now, and um, uh, one of the things that we we haven't talked about, but obviously is really important that we do is that. You know, along with everything else that's happened in the last week or so, uh, we very sadly heard the news that um, Gerard Houllier passed away, um, who yeah. was 
you know, a fantastic manager for Liverpool Football Club from coming in in 1997 as a sort of joint manager with Roy Evans to becoming the, the you know, the standalone manager in 1998 to 2004. So I just wanted to take um, the opportunity to give us all a chance to, uh, you know, talk about memories either of Julien himself or memories that he gave us as a manager of the club um, whilst he was there. Um, uh, Amy Kate, let me start with you on this. So for me, it was my first year of um, 98 was when I started following Liverpool. So um, I got to learn who he was um, and and kind of, you know, he was the example because at that point um, in the United States on cable, I had to pay for like the extra uh, package for the sports because I wanted to watch football and, and as we call it soccer in English because it was it was rare you didn't get to watch it and and um, I I came across Liverpool and just absolutely fell in love with them saw Stevie for the first time and thought this kid is amazing you know um, and I just kept watching everything and I just fell in love with Liverpool and I'm a huge Beatles fan and that was it for me I was like this this is it and I just I don't know. I was drawn to him, and and Julia was my first manager, so he was the first example because you didn't have the internet to to learn about Shankly yet, or you know know all the things that I know now yeah. twenty two years later. So, um, just his what I really appreciated and and loved about him, um, outside of the fact that you know I mean the trouble in, in two thousand one, amazing, you know a few years later, but. His love and his affection and, and um, the way he treated Liverpool as a family, he really put Liverpool back on the map. He really um, brought back those core values of what Liverpool is really about. Um, he would definitely just, just seeing how he, his love for the people, his love for the city, which we all have. And, and, and he's, he, he, was, he was a Liverpool fan, um, which I, I learned later. I didn't know right away, but I just, yes, I don't he know. Was. Back from the, the 60s. Yeah. So, so I mean, his heart was there. I mean, it wasn't a, just a job for him. It was, it was a, a, um, a passion and a love for it. it. You know, when you get to do the job that you love, you do it so much better and you, 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 know, you appreciate it. And I, I think that's just what's so special. And you, the, the, the dedications that Gerard and Carragher and Danny Murphy, um, put out there. I mean, there's loads of them, but hmm. it was listening to, to Danny Murphy talk about it. I mean, we all know what, how, how Gerard and, and, and the, the beautiful, wonderful connection that he had, but I didn't know so much about Danny Murphy. And so that one kind of was a nice kind of surprise because it changed him as a person, not just as a better player, but as a person. And I think that that was really special. So he's going to be, be missed. And and, um, you know, he's going to be up there with one, one of the greats now. I mean, he already was, but more so. Uh, that's lo lovely, um, lovely words, Amy Kate. Randy, what, what does uh, Julia mean to you? What, what memories spring to mind when you think about him? I have to admit, I didn't really follow that closely. I, I've been a fan of Liverpool since I was a child, but in those days when he was there, I was not that really close to following everything around the club. So 
he was sort of there to me then, but I've learned so much more about him later. And uh, just his presence, his his warm calmness, I thought was very, very special. And as you said, Emma Kate, he was a fan. The way he was maybe fan at the same time as he was doing the managing and then he was afterwards he was he was never going to let go of Liverpool although he was he was doing a lot of work for so many other clubs like all the Red Bull teams uh, the France the French team and he's been so important for so many people and, and that sort of just dawned on me now when you could see all the lovely tributes so uh, he's always been important to us and especially I think he gave us the Gerard that we had sort of enjoyed so many years later on. I think he made him what he was or or became. And uh, I'm just so happy that he was ours for so many years. And uh, so sorry that he's gone so early, really. Yeah, I mean, it's 70, 73, which is... No, no age. We no. clearly had a number of um, health issues, particularly with his heart, which which we knew about. But Molly, you know, you obviously are a um, you know are a resident of the city, albeit not at this precise moment. Um, so I don't know whether the the things that potentially resonate with you more. Um, about Julia, you were obviously a teacher. He first came to Liverpool as a teacher, um, and you know he he taught. You know, he's, I remember. Um, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going around about him him talking about you know teaching in Liverpool eight or Toxteth as we as we now know it, and you know sort of getting to understand the people and the humour and various other things. So, uh, interesting journey for him to end up coming back as our manager but but what did you know what did Julier uh, give you as a Liverpool supporter so I think for me because I don't know this is going to be everyone's memory but that 2001 treble winning year I was 12 so I was at that age where you go from being kind of a child fan if that kind of makes sense, like you know you support Liverpool and you go to games and and you watch it on the TV if you're allowed to stay up and, and things like that to be in. It was at that kind of age where you shift from, you know, that age to, to then knowing every game, knowing the game that's coming up, you know, holding the programmes, buying Match magazine and, and things like that. So it was that year. So who is hugely significant to me because it's that era when... Um, you're a child of football as your whole entire world. Um, and they were my first cup finals as well. Um, so it was, I believe at the time, called the Worthington Cup. Um, 2001 against Birmingham City when we had about, we had so many penalties. Carragher took one, I believe, yes. at the end. <laughs> it did, like, didn't it was did. crazy, yeah. And then the then obviously against Arsenal, and we were actually in that corner where Michael Owen celebrated. Wow! Uh, so that was a big one. And oh, wow, just that's really more cool. Significant um, is my dad warned me before the game 
Um, but particularly, in particularly before the Birmingham City game, but it was more significant with the FA Cup that every Convery has lost their first cup final. And he was, he was like, I think relatively... Trying to prepare me, was he? Because it was my <laughs> first cup final. Um, so we just... So I broke the family curse, me and Gerard Houllier. We oh, broke brilliant. the family <laughs> curse for my... Because at first it was like, no, it's first cup final, it's a league one. And it was like, Molly, I just I think it might be your first FA Cup final that you've got to lose. Oh. And I was like, right, okay, Dad. Um, <laughs> 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 How inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then we nearly did, and obviously with the Arsenal one, it kind of felt a little bit that way. Um, but yeah, so me and, me and Julier, we broke the curse together. <laughs> um, ah, but lovely. yeah, as I say, so for me, just significant because I know the previous managers of Liverpool, but just as I said, I was just at that age kind of, you know, 11, 12, where you really, really yeah. get into it. And so he was the manager at that point. Then we won the treble. So for me, Julio is incredibly significant uh, from that standpoint because he, he was the manager, you know, at that kind of key era for, for you when you're a kid following football. Oh, yeah, nice. it, it was, um, that's the that's lovely memories. Molly um I have some similar ones to you um I mean I've, I've been supporting Liverpool for over over 40 years now um so but but was an armchair fan for for a lot of that until about the early mid 90s so I'd seen us win a lot of stuff but I'd never been there for it um, and then in you know in that nineties era era we weren't particularly successful you know we won a, um, a league cup I can't even remember it might have been called the Carling Cup then who knows um, you know under Sunus in ninety two um, and then we had that you know terrible uh, ninety six FA Cup with the white suits and oh. um, and all you know against Man United and 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 then you know oh, Liverpool dear. kind of went went uh, you know they they broke the mould to an extent because you never had a joint manager relationship when they brought Julian in alongside Roy Evans and you know they were all of us sort of sitting there looking at us going well no idea how this is going to work and nobody was really surprised when it didn't because you know the players want to know they they want things simple they want to understand who it is that they go to so it was it was a terrible way to sort of say goodbye to a great servant of the club in Roy Evans and then to to end up with Julio so I remember that being there was a little bit of kind of emote you know I felt emotional for Roy Evans in all of that because I felt he'd been put in an untenable position so I wasn't sure about how I felt at Julio at the start of all of that um and then obviously you could see you could see him trying to put you know those foundations in place and I, and I think you know it's been acknowledged it you know he was 
you know, one of the architects about really starting to bring us into the modern era because we had been lagging behind in a lot of different ways, you know, to Man United and, uh, you know, and even sort of Chelsea and Arsenal, to, you know, Arsene Wenger had come in and, you know, we had all of that sort of stuff going on. So so for me, there was a, it was sort of looking to, to see where he was going to take us. But when I started going to the game regularly, which was probably from around about 97, 98, I would say, then one of the guy who gave me my formative live memories of Liverpool. So, you know, going that, that night, he came back after his heart surgery when we played Roma and we had to beat them 2-0 at Anfield to go through. And seeing, not knowing he was going to be there, and there was all these rumours swearing, and then he suddenly appeared on the touchline. And I remember that Emil Heskey towering header um, in the second half to beat Roma 2-0. I remember the Barcelona game when Gary McAllister scored that penalty at the Anfield Road end to take us into the final of the uh, UEFA Cup. I remember going to Cardiff for the Worthington Cup final. Long story we haven't got time for now. <laughs> I did actually go to the FA Cup final. My friend and I said we would only go if we got tickets, if we both got tickets to go. Individually, we were separately off tickets at different times, but we rejected them because the other one didn't have a ticket. And so we ended up neither of us going. Um, but, but we did to the UEFA Cup final to see that mad game against Alaves and the 5-4 golden goal, lone goal nonsense. Um, and I remember being in some mad hotel in, in Germany singing at half past five in the morning, <laughs> losing my voice. And, and Julia is, you know, it's his team all all wrapped up in that. So... I and I, it was only when I started reflecting on it I realised kind of how entwined he was with those formative experiences that I had in terms of go, you know, properly going to the game, going to the away European matches, you know, doing doing all of the trips and all the rest of it. So, so for that alone to to give us a team that we could follow that delivered that success, I will forever be grateful to him. And I and I do think it's a, it's a terrible shame we we we've lost him too soon. And I don't know whether he's he's got the credit he he deserved in terms of some of the building blocks he put in place. But but hopefully people are realising now um, the stuff that he did. And and to your and to what you said, Randy, in terms of the tributes that have come from across the football world, from you know different different clubs, different federations, individual players, other managers. Mm. Um, he generally did did seem to come across as somebody who was truly, honestly liked and admired by so many people, and that's that must be a lovely thing to see for his family and friends. I would have thought. Yeah. So yeah, sorry, I rambled on a bit, but um... <laughs> oh, it's <was> great. <laughs> um, so. So it was just our opportunity as a, as a group to sort of say, you know, merci to uh, Gerard Houllier for for everything he did for Liverpool Football Club and and for us as um, as supporters, um, and you know, wish you know everything good to his to his family and and friends in terms of dealing with 
this loss. Um, So we're just about coming to the end of this. Um, So just a quick run round. Anybody got any any other business, anything they need need or want to plug or anything they just want to get off their chest? Molly, how about you? Uh, no, I was because I was going to talk about Lee and his um, celebration dedicated to his granddad that Manny did. But we've already talked about that. <laughs> but I just thought it was lovely. That's that was all I wanted to say. I did. It was. It was gorgeous, wasn't it? Um, yeah, <laughs> Manny's just a lovely human being, isn't he? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> honest. Oh, thank you, Molly. Uh, Randy, <laughs> anything from you? Uh, I was just going to say that I've uh, actually realised Tiago is alive. I've seen him <laughs> live on TV. He's there. He actually looks alive. And it wouldn't surprise me if we were to see him soon, which is very thrilling. I can't wait for that to happen. And I was also going to say that uh, I was... I've been... Sorry, I'm... Randy, can I just say, you, you said that like you had like insider knowledge... Like, oh, we might see him soon. Uh, (laughs) She's got secrets we don't, she's not divulging. I'm keeping my sources close to my chest. So you'll just have to wait and see. Uh, (laughs) The thing is, who do you know? Obviously, we don't know who they are. No, you don't. And I can't tell, can I? I mean, I can't blow my sources. You know, my my husband is an editor and we do keep those uh, quiet, don't we? Uh, The thing is, moving swiftly along, uh, the thing is I'm also quite into... um, uh, into, uh, What's it called now again? Uh, You know, buying and selling plays. What do we call that? Transfers. Sorry, it's Sunday. You know, you know that thing when, when people leave and then people come? Yeah, I know, I know that thing. That's the yeah, thing. Do you see transfers, right? I can't, yeah, transfers, that's it. And I've been looking out for it all, um, you know, since October. I've been thinking, so who are we going to buy now in January? Because it's going to be at least two people. I've been looking into this really heavily. Okay. And uh, I sort of ended up, we might not sign anyone. Because look at our team. It's actually doing quite well and people are coming back. Ox now. Um, hopefully no more injuries. Uh, knock everything. And maybe we're going to see this team with the young guys establishing something here so that we can wait for the others. We don't have to panic by at least. So I think the transfers are out for January. It's going to be exciting to see what happens now then. Okay. Um, so you don't think we're going to be signing another centre-back then? Well, I was thinking we were, but now suddenly I think we might not. Let's see what happens. Right. Okay. <laughs> Julie noted. Uh, Amy <laughs> Kay, anything from your side? Um, well, this has been quite a year, and um, it's been such a pleasure to get to know you ladies and um, be a part of this. So I want to say thank you and wish everybody a very Merry Christmas and Happy New Year and to all the listeners out there as well. And um, hopefully we'll be uh, 
ringing in the new year, uh, still top of the table. Uh, yeah. uh, yes, I, I think you'll. I think you'll find that we are. Um, <laughs> but but thank you. It's it's been great having you join the queue, the crew, even. Um, so so thank you and thank you for your contributions um, as well over the you know after the last few months. Um, it's I think it's been as you say it's been a it's been a long and difficult year for most of us um there's just one tiny thing i want to say before i i sort of sign off is i really really want to find out who is leaking the fucking team and i want them shut down yeah, it's really right. beginning to piss me off now um and why would you want to give the opposition advance notice of what you're doing? It's not doing us any favours. So if there's one plea I would have for Christmas, find out who the mole is and nail their ass to the floor. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. You know who we oh. need, don't you? Who? We need Colleen Rooney. Oh, yeah, we, we need Wagatha Christie. Yeah. Sign her up, Molly. Sign her up. I don't know her, Randy. I'm just saying. I don't. <laughs> are you are you trying to tell me it's Rebecca Vardy? Yeah. <laughs> it might be. The, it's because you the keep calling her Bella rat face. Whatever you call her. Getting her own back. That's yeah. It. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> okay. All right. So I think I think that's the that's the perfect note to finish <laughs> on. Uh, so last last three things for me. So 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 the first thing is, um, it'll be too late by the time you you listen to this. But hopefully, whoever could, you've all voted for Jordan Henderson for Sports Personality of the Year. Um, two is our next game is against Fat Sam. And uh, and his and his gravy, and gravy. Um, <laughs> and his, uh, against West Brom. So so hopefully we'll give him a Boxing Day or twenty seventh of December or whenever it is day to remember. Let's let's not give him anything to be happy about. And last but not least, thank you all for listening throughout the year. I hope you've enjoyed these live for bird pods. We will be back early in January, um, but. But most difficult of strange years. I hope you have the best Christmas you can have in the circumstances and you and yours all stay healthy and safe. And with that, thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you again soon. Bye-bye. Life goes on day after day Hearts torn in every way So fairy, cross the mercy Cause this land's the place I love And here I'll stay Sports Social Podcast Network